Welcome to the Active Topical Banter Show, RP Gamers Editorial Roundtable Podcast. I am Scott Walker, and with me tonight are my co-hosts in no particular order. I'm Sam. I'm Scott's wife and stuff. <laughs> I'm Trent. Um, I'm Scott's friend and stuff. And I'm Mac, and I'm Scott's co-worker, boss, person, and stuff. And we are here to talk about mailbag questions and make you think and stuff. One, two, three, four. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't Wayne's World this. We're off to good stuff. Alright. I'm good with that. So, uh, it's the end of the year. We're kind of feeling like taking it a little easy. So we put out the call for questions for us to answer. So, we're just going to do that. We actually yeah. got quite a few. Yeah, party on, Sam. Party on, Trent. <laughs> now it's Wayne's World. Yes! <laughs> I got it in there! Scott's already like, I hate my life. <laughs> Hooray for the cutting room floor! <laughs> we'll need more hemp before we're through. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay, so first one comes from Forumer Coyote Craft, who would like to know how we play games. Which, um... I try to not have anything going on at the same time. I know, um, yeah, that I know, Sam. There was about three years where you wouldn't do anything without staff IRC open. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was mostly if I was playing a really bad game on or like DS or something. Watching a movie or reading oh, the, the, or okay, typing. I, I cherish those times. To be fair, like those moments where I was formatting something and really annoyed at it, and Sam hopped on chat to start bitching about the game she was trying to review. <laughs> priceless, <laughs> absolutely priceless. Oh man. So- so that's really how you play. So, Scott, you don't want to do anything else. You're solely focused on that. And, well, Sam, you're doing everything else. Yes. <laughs> not, well, not so much well, anymore. That's the funny well, thing. Well, it took me a series of hand slaps to be like, you're actually enjoying this. Stop being, stop talking to Glenn about formatting. Also, and, and, and things you like. Because, you know, Glenn's my grandma, just so you know. Okay. What about you, Mac? What? Oh, man. I guess that's the biggest reason I love portables because I can play a game for like two minutes, stop, go do something else, pick it up, two minutes, stop again. Um, I don't necessarily have other things going, but See, I can start and stop games at no no problem whatsoever, even if it's like in the middle of a conversation, middle of a boss battle, you name it. I can put it on pause, put it in sleep mode, and then pick it up whenever. See, it's funny that you mention that because whenever I've played uh, portable or handheld titles, especially RPGs, like I'll sit on a couch in front of a TV and watch a show a game for like eight hours straight. I approach handheld games the same way most people probably do console games. Yeah, I mean, if I could do that on console games, I would too. But until, you know, the PS4 has more RPGs and they actually implement suspend mode... Oh, the dream. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, I'll I'll even sort of retract my previous statement. There are definitely games where I will sit down and that is, you know, put me in the little cone of isolation because I'm not doing anything or talking to anyone. Yes, that's been what Far Cry 4 has been the last few days. I'm working on Far Cry 4. I I have to be in the cone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> See, but, I, I honestly do, I, I don't think I isolate myself at all. Um, if anything, I tweet more often while I'm playing video games than any other point in the day. 
Oh, and that's been the most addictive thing for me with the Vita is that you can take screenshots and then tweet them out in the middle of playing without stopping the game. That's me so, with Dragon Age right now. <laughs> you know, I'll I'll do that crap, and it's just you know I'll pick it up, carry it around anywhere. You know, take it. You, know, you gotta go to the bathroom. You go to the bathroom. You play some. You get done. You go out. You, you know, you play some <laughs> later. Wash your hands and stuff, of course. But um, even then, like. <laughs> When I transition, there, there's plenty of games that I'll just sort of label as mindless. So, like, I reviewed Diablo 3, but there was a certain point where I'd sort of gotten into the rhythm of it and didn't have to think about it critically and could just sort of punch punch zombies and listen to podcasts at the same time, and I don't think anyone faults me for it. No, I mean, I do that too, though, sometimes. When I'm listening to, port- uh, listening. When I'm listening to a podcast, sometimes I've got a portable game usually, you know, in my hands, like... I caught up on the Game Critics podcast by playing Adventure Time. Yeah, and it, some games are perfectly designed for that. That's one thing I enjoyed about, um, like, Bravely Default. Most of that game, you know, the actual combat, you could, you know, crank up the experience, you know, crank up the encounter rate, auto-battle your way through stuff while doing anything else. And it was, you know, if you didn't have to do that, you know, it's kind of fun to just mindlessly grind. I think there's definitely so a place games. that there, there's definitely a place for uh, multi shirking in anything grind heavy. Mm-hmm. New question. All right. So next one. Well, I, <laughs> thank I, you, Coyote Craft. <laughs> I mean, uh, he also brings up sort of social elements of gaming, which Sam did not include in the summary. But <laughs> uh, I think there's something to be said for um, not necessarily even just sh- shouting out screenshots and saying snarky things, but um, I, I really, uh, something I really liked about the social media integration of, um, Need for Speed Most want- Wanted, the most recent one, with the most wanted name, not the most recent Need for Speed, uh, <laughs> it, it's almost a sequel to Burnout Paradise, and one of the elements is that you can set it up so that it will poke your friends on Facebook whenever you beat their record at something, so if you go through a traffic light, faster than them, it'll nudge them. It's like, hey, hey, Jonathan, Scott just cleared that, just uh, took beat you by 10 miles an hour at uh, this corner. What you gonna do? Definitely prod for revenge, eh? Oh, no, like, that that whole game was really about getting your friends list, um, keeping your friends list competitive in an asynchronous way that uh, I really liked. You know, what was that other game you and I played that also did that? Was it Sleeping Dogs? Yeah, Sleeping Dogs did that too, where uh, every time you did a mission, it would say, oh, this person on your friends list did it better. Or worse. Or worse. (laughs) And that, I think that was actually really fun, and I'd like to see that a bit more. And I know I'm about to, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm about to enter streaming, but there's going to be some sort of, Stream of consciousness rambling video hitting the site soonish, maybe. While playing Far Cry 4? Trying to be cryptic, and you just step on it. <laughs> so we'll see how that works for me. And now I'm in trouble. No, I'm just... I like I like being able to tweet pictures of my really pretty canary to everybody <laughs> in Dragon Age Inquisition. She's really pretty. Yeah, yeah that's as soon as I get my my canary has a very handsome jaw and an excellent British accent, if I do say so. <laughs> we'll have to compare who's prettier. Mine's the man, so. So automatically mine wins. Yay! Okay, new question. 
Okay, so next question comes from Victor, who asks how we fit time into our busy schedules, and, well, some of it's just, you know, you take slices out of sleep. I think it all helps that none of us have children, even if we yes. have full-time jobs. And pets. Yet. Yet. Are you trying? <laughs> Is that, that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no, I'm not announcing anything like that, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, as far as that goes, um... Yeah, portability really helps for me, too, because I don't get to sit in front of the TV near as often as I would like or near as often as I used to. So portability is the biggest thing to be able to take it out. Like I spent from 10 o'clock this morning till 7 o'clock this evening out shopping, Christmas shopping. And if I hadn't had my Vita with me, it would have been kind of boring. So there were plenty of times I was sitting there playing Vita. There we go. I mean, some of it is, I think, if it matters, you find a way to make the time. For me, it's commuting. I know, like, I take my 3DS with me. Like, when I was playing Pokemon X and Y last semester, that was kind of where I got my Pokemon time in. Because with Pokemon, it has the save anywhere feature, right? So I get off the bus, save it, or put it into sleep mode, go to class, come back, play a little bit more Pokemon. That's probably what's going to happen with Omega Ruby next semester. I suspect. I think. I suspect. Like the fact that my compute, my commute right now is walking means that um, that's kind of clearing out podcasts and audiobook backlogs more than anything else. But it's sort of like you, you know, you really it comes down to you know what I'm going to stop trolling through Facebook and t- tooling around having amusing Twitter conversations and settle in to play some goddamn video games. <laughs> And, you know, the other thing is, depending on the kind of game you're playing, determines how much time you put into it. But I'm playing a very crappy <laughs> review game. Thank you, Trent. Uh, when I'm playing a crappy review game that Mac gave me, it's always a little bit... Like, I have to put myself in a zone where I have to be ready to possibly throw whatever it is that I have in my hands. Um, whereas if it's a game for pleasure, you know, I'm putting that time in with the logic of, this is for me and it's for funsies. Not have I given working. you another? Have I given you another crappy game? Not lately, actually. I've been oh, okay. I've been very lucky. Well, is Mac giving you games, or are you volunteering for them? Shut uh, up! It's kind lately, of a, I've been quiet. Yeah, I think, it's kind I of think, a symbiotic relationship. I think this is a two kind of wrong stuff. situation here. <laughs> well, well yes. right now, I have not asked for a single thing. Okay. So it's good. You know, another way we fit all these RPGs into our busy schedule, we avoid the crappy ones. That helps. (laughs) Um, I do not fit all of them into my busy schedule, and uh, the crappy ones that I do get to play um, are slowly sucking my life force away. (laughs) Oh, I still love you. Everybody takes a dud, so I mean, someone needs to do this for the site because we don't have a review up yet. You know. Well, you know what? And that's just it. We'll we'll see what happens. Maybe in 2015, maybe I can make playing a crappy game rewarding. Yeah, but really rewarding. This question and get less into the inside baseball stuff. (laughs) Um, as far as RPGs go, if I don't sit and focus on the one that I'm playing. If I jump around, I have a lot harder time getting through something. So if I'm really enjoying it, I put all my time into one console RPG and one handheld RPG at a time. No more, no less. Otherwise, I don't. I lose complete focus and can't do it. If that answers that question. Okay, so uh, the Anime Man 
has a question for those of us who play MMOs. And do we play MMOs other than Mac? That might just be for me then. Okay. I don't necessarily play them a lot, but yeah, I've played enough to count, I guess, in this. In okay, this well, it, it's this rambling thing about immersiveness in MMOs, and yeah, um, like how uh, how what do you like that? What what draws you in? I guess is the real question here. Yeah, as far as MMOs go, and I know he kind of references conversations he's had with Phil, and I've had the same conversations with Phil with different things. MMOs for me give me an option of. Um, treating them as a single-player game with other people around. So that kind of goes back to our social question, to be able to play a game, chat with others, do quests with other people you know. It gets really boring. My first MMO was Final Fantasy XI, and the game itself had a lot of problems. But if you got into it and you were really playing the game you know, socially, you had to have like six people at any time. You had to have a full party of six people at the minimum to go out and do stuff really as a party, at least back when I was playing it. And a lot of times all you would do would be get together, party, and grind you know, for experience to get to the next level and to keep doing that stuff. So if it hadn't been for the fact that um, for a good portion of level like 20 to 60, I had a static group of people that all of us got together like on a, you know, a Monday or Tuesday afternoon and played into the evening, I would have never played it. So... When I can play one like a single-player game, WoW came and did that, Final Fantasy XIV kind of does that, gives you the ability to do you know, some single-player content. That's kind of what I like about the MMO worlds. I love the job classes, being able to do stuff. Um, and that's why I like Final Fantasy XI and XIV a little bit more, because you get one character you can focus, focus on, and that character can be any class you want it to be. Unlike WoW, you have to have multiple classes or multiple characters to, to venture out, but... That's kind of where I stand on MMOs and you well, know the immersive qualities. What I like about them. Well, if it, I, I guess I'll, meant, I'll allude to my experience playing The Old Republic because that's the last time I tried at an MMO, and I think there was this point for me in, in both times I tried to pick it up when I hit Coruscant, and I just sort of realized that I was playing the checklist game, and so I'm just sort of sitting there going through. To just, just sort of like, and I, I, I sort of lost it. Like, I think, uh, what story there was in the starter planets was something you could follow, and there were guys along the way who maybe needed you to do side missions. And then Coruscant was just this hub of just everyone has a checklist of shit for you to do. And I lost track of why or how I was doing it, and I just sort of started to tune out, and I didn't bother to re up my subscription. That's the way a lot of them get, and that's one of the biggest reasons I've never done in-game stuff in MMOs is because I feel like once you hit that in-game block, it really is just repetitive, doing the same thing over and over again, and there's no real drive except to get, you know, better loot. And, you know, I don't give a crap about that at a point. It's fun when it's coming in a natural progression, but when you have to force yourself to do it, no thanks. You know, and that's kind of funny because... Okay, Diablo 3 is not an MMO, but that but was something people... But it's kind of an MMO. But it's kind of an MMO. And people were complaining when I said I didn't like the game. Well, you just didn't go for the bigger loot. I'm like, loot is not appealing to me. Doing a checklist is not always appealing to me. I don't mind if some of that's there, but 
Well, Diablo has this thing where if you're willing to sit in there and get into sort of the the the, the nitty gritty of it and figure out which loot you want, <laughs> you end up in this loop of creating characters with the intention of having them play themselves until you realize that having the character plays it, playing itself is really boring. That's a few chapters into nightmare mode for me, and then you start a new character and do the same thing all over again. Not fun. Don't see the fun. <laughs> New question. <laughs> okay, so um, Drav would like us to presume a scenario in which uh, JRPGs throw thrived on consoles in the previous generation, and I think this touches on an episode I want to do in the near future about mainstreaming the JRPG. But um, do we think the genre would be would be better off if it had stuck to the console market as opposed to the handhelds? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much just a, a yes, <laughs> I think, in general. For this to happen, you either have to assume that the console market was much stronger than the handheld market in Japan for the past and, ten years, or yeah, that... Reasonable to develop for. It's not, yeah, it's not just that, it's development costs. Yeah, that's know? the thing, is you would have to assume either that, either that the console market was way bigger in Japan, Pan than it was, or that Japanese developers started swinging for a worldwide audience regularly. Yeah, and I yeah. think one of those things is neither of those things is feasible. But as a thought experiment, I think uh, a more mainstreamish JRPG looks really awkward. Like I think we just see a lot of things trying to be near. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, gritty and Americanized, I guess. Or what Japan thinks Americanized is. Yeah. And that kind of happened a little bit in the few that we did see, you know, The Last Remnant, and, you know, Nier actually succeeded in some of the stuff by kind of its own mistakes <laughs> that it succeeded in. But, yeah, that's what a lot of that stuff kind of hit, and I think it would be stronger, and I don't, you know... This is totally a hypothetical question because, of course, you know, it would have been better had there been stronger focus and the ability to make that focus stronger. The, the console market might have been an interesting experiment, but I think a lot of guys went for the smarter and easier route of just doing the handhelds or just going full bore into the MOA industrial complex. And that's not well, great for uh, me, but it's uh, great for JRPGs in a way. Well, Ugh. all right, hold on a second. Let me let me take this back just a little bit, because if you look at the earlier part of the 360 and PS3 cycle, there were a lot more JRPGs back then. When it first started out, you know, the 360 was the go-to JRPG system for the longest time. You had Microsoft Lost was Odyssey. co-funding it. Yeah, you had Lost Odyssey, you had Blue Dragon, you had Infinite Undiscovery, awful game, but still you had that. Uh, yeah, The Last Remnant. You know, Tales of Vesperia. Remnant, Tales of Vesperia. You had a lot of things out there, and even, you know, slowly started to become more of those. Yeah. Um, How many of them so, were actually good, though? I mean, well, that's a I debatable think, point, but... You know, there were some issues that came off with that, so I think that... I don't know if it really would have been... It, it would have been better off in terms of I would have enjoyed it a lot more. But I don't know how successful some of these things would have been because if they had been really successful, we'd probably be seeing, you know, Lost Odyssey two. We would have seen, you know, a real Blue Dragon. Well, I don't, I don't want that either. But 
we would have seen more with those games than what happened. You know, Microsoft would have been chomping at the bit to support those more had they really been financially successful. And I think there's a certain point where some of them, like some of the bigger hits, would just be slightly cleaner looking versions of games we got on portables in the way Disgaea is. Like you you have it on the Vita and you have it on the PS3 and they're basically the same thing. Just one is prettier than the other. Like one is slightly prettier looking, but it's basically made on the same budget. Yeah, and you get all the DLC that they released over time in the smaller package that doesn't look as sharp, but you still get it. Yeah. Yep. I, I I think it it'd be like that but backwards a little bit. Um so our dear friend Phil would like to know when a series stops being a series. Uh, just because a series has the same name with an ascending number tacked on at the end, does that really make a series? And I'm going to point right at Fallout 3, actually, as sort of the interesting example of this, rather than, I think, where he was leading it. <laughs> and just say, you know what, I think uh, Fallout 3 was a, a sincere attempt to capture the spirit in a different genre, even if it fell apart um, on a num- on a couple of execution levels. I had fun with it. I, I'm, I'm actually, because this is a leading question, um, yes. I'm actually going to push back against it. Um, because I feel like there's, I, I don't want to call it entitlement, but it is. There's there's an entitlement among gamers that, that makes them believe that they are the arbiters of what is and isn't uh considered a valuable or worthwhile entry in a franchise and the reality the sad reality that i think a lot of people need to learn to understand is they are not the people who get to define whether something is a part of a series Uh, the creators of the series are the ones that get to define that even if the original creators of the series are no longer involved see also star trek movies well, like a, a good example, and and I I know I always reference Silent Hill whenever we talk. Is uh, pretty much every silent game made after Silent Hill Four: The Room has had a different development team behind it. Even and, Silent Hill Four was not really a Silent Hill until oh, th- most no, of the way no, that, through. That's a whole other argument, but I'm pretty uh, sure. Well, no, I'm saying was... that it was created as something different. Init- and it was got... it was initially it was created by the same team, but it was initially. It was initially meant to be something different, yes. Yeah. And then it became a Silent Hill. I'm just saying that they... It is a Silent Hill. It was a bridge builder. They built the bridge to it rather than starting on the other coast, uh, is what I'm saying. But the thing is, even even if an iteration or or an entry comes out that you are not 100% on, you can't decide, you know, just because this doesn't feel right or it tries something different, that... It's not a part of the series. It's not your call whether it's a part of a series. It has the name attached to it. It might have a number attached to it. It has the publisher or the series holder's seal of approval. And whether you like it or not, yeah, it's a part of the series. Yeah, that's that's where I stand on it. I mean, it's, it's not it's not the happiest or the friendliest answer, but <laughs> I I really do think we need to curtail this. Uh, what I can only call the sense of entitlement that says. Well, games like Final Fantasy XIII uh, are not Final we Fantasy get games. The whole okay, hold on. Actually, saying that. <laughs> All right. No, so have, have the name to, of what we, we knew he was referring to. Okay. So hold on, though. Let's say in a magical world we were these entitled people, and we did get to choose what entries do not be allowed to be a part of our favorite series. If you had a series that you liked, and there is an entry that you wish didn't exist, which one would it be? So, like for example, I love Sam Sweet Coden. Off the cuff questions. I love Sweet Coden for an example. There are a bunch of them. I really, really don't like four. Oh, sorry. 
I like you're, four. You're not the only one. I mean, I like <laughs> I don't like four that much, and I don't like five that much. So to me, those don't you know they don't feel like the real sweet codins to me, right? In, in the entitled sense, I still played them. I still had some enjoyment, but to me, two is still the best. So for you guys, pick a series, which is the one that is the legitsy <laughs> bad one. Like the one, oh, you, you get to do the discontinuity button. You get to do button. the discontinuity button. <laughs> oh. JS X 2. That's a good one, actually. Hmm. There, mean, there's the undo button, Deus Ex 2. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of hard not to just default to certain ones that I feel like, you know, I'm kind of baited into. Um, uh, Metroid Other M. That's another good one. I mean, that's not an RPG. But that's okay. Uh, it's a case of, you know, people like it or they hated it. That yeah, one really see, didn't have I, middle ground. Yeah, I love the gameplay of that one for the most part, but hated the story. So I think a game like that would be nice to just see have been its own thing. And a lot of See, I, I find Success. it interesting that Scott said Deus Ex 2, because I was actually going to say Human Revolution. And I think we could. Th there's an interesting conversation both of us could have there on a different day. I like Human Revolution, but I just like that Adam Jensen's oh, kind of a babe. it's an excellent game, Sam. It's just not a Deus Ex Oh, I, I know that. Well, bear in mind, Sam I've only has played, played no other Deus Ex. Also, Adam Jensen, <laughs> babe. And he kick punches the dudes, and that's all I cared about while playing the game. <laughs> all right, well this this was this was an interesting thought experiment. All right, next question. Or yeah. temperous flare. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I think I've already answered Phil's question in other comments. So I'll right. refrain from going any further. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Mr. Michael Baker would like to know what Square Enix could learn from other developers who have a more coherent, cohesive structure to their series formats. I don't didn't, I write, didn't I write an editorial on this exact conversation? And I didn't do we have a whole podcast on it, too? I think we did. <laughs> Dear Michael Baker, it's a wonderful question. The answer is Square Enix will never learn, and that's okay. Well, Next question. Well, I think, here's the thing. I think you can see what they would learn. If, if a Final Fantasy was a coherent series, you would see basically the same thing as Kingdom Hearts and its arc, where it's like... Okay. It it does start to jettison the stupid mini games a bit, but still yep. experiments. Let's let's reference this question to anything but Final Fantasy, as far as Square Enix goes and what they've done. Um, what so other, Chrono sequels, you know, you know, what could they do? Could they do something? You know, when you look at Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross, both games supposed to tie together, but they didn't really have anything similar. You know, would you like to see Square Enix take some of their older RPGs and do like a, you know, a Persona 3, 4 style thing where they just kind of take what went right and do the same thing again? Well, I think... Is that something other developers have done that works? Well, I think I think that's something that I'd like to see from a few different Square Enix franchises where you just sort of sit down and look at what did work in, say, a Nier or a Kingdom Hearts 1 and try to... Do that again, but refined. Yeah. Well, I and think, I, and that's Square Enix's biggest problem, truthfully, is refinement in a lot of cases. They do yeah. some really great things, but <laughs> put it on a on a more refined level. Uh, Kingdom Hearts, you're still a joke. Go away. But it's true. Like I think with a lot of companies, and it's not just Square Enix at fault. Sometimes that's all we really want from a lot of games is just that extra little bit of refinement. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I feel like we're going to retread a let's, lot of let's not. ground on that one. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so we've got basically... Lightning Man round. <laughs> Mankey, 
threw a whole bunch of questions at us. We're going to do it real fast. So I'm going to ask the question. Everyone's going to give almost their immediate thoughts, and then we're going to move on to the next one. Lightning round! Go! So, first one is, how critical is voice acting to your RPG experience? Not at all! Not at all critical. Not at all critical. Sorry. Half the time, I don't even have the volume up on a lot of them, especially portable <laughs> games. So. Can, I feel like they can enhance it in certain games that are dialogue-heavy, like Dragon Age, but ultimately, if a game doesn't have audio, it's not a game-breaker for me. Here, yeah. Uh, if you aren't going to bother to animate your cut, your dialogue cutscenes, uh, don't bother voice-acting them either and just save the money. Yeah. Like today, the English voices for Final Fantasy XV were revealed in their newest trailer, and people were just bashing on it left and right. And I don't give a crap. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care if it's awful. Everybody's like, well, I'm going to listen to the Japanese versions. I, 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 I saw the care. trailer and was really impressed. <laughs> yeah. But, it wasn't okay, Nolan sorry, Northy very... enough. <laughs> yeah. All right, but, so there we go. So, yeah, not very Did, did these people play Final Fantasy Thirteen? Are they aware <laughs> of how bad dialogue in Final Fantasy can sound? Yeah, I, there's there's a certain strain of you, you can type this but you can't say it in JRPGs. That might be best unsaid. But yeah, I, I think if you're going to animate, you have to voice act, but a lot of JRPGs are just, talk, are just character heads floating around. So I don't have a problem reading. Uh, next question is, among the many series that haven't turned into RPGs yet, which ones do you think would work out pretty well that way? King of uh. the Hill as Pokemon. <laughs> Alrighty. I don't um, actually have a real answer for this because I'm perfectly happy I, I with have series. No idea. I'm perfectly happy with the series I like that are not RPGs, just being what they're like. But I want something like Saints Row the RPG. I don't know. I want Saints Row the beat 'em up because that was really fun in four, but I don't really yeah. want it to be an RPG. Yeah, like, I've been asked this question online a few times, and I can't ever come up with a good series that I think would make a good RPG. Scott also has no answer by the looks of it. Uh, I think I'm I'm gonna sit and I'm gonna say, uh, what am I playing right now that I'm? What am I playing lately that I like? Yeah, yeah, no, honestly, I think yeah. I think I it's such a specific beast that adding a whole bunch of uh, level up mechanics don't necessarily help say uncharted at all and, and not just that a lot of popular series are borrowing from rpgs as is so it's not like it's and some popular series have turned into them like super mario brothers woohoo <laughs> yeah all right next question trent hasn't answered sam Oh, I'm sorry, Trent. I love you. Scott's I, scolding I, no, me. I have no answer. I, I relinquish my right to answer. Okay, then. Next question. Okay, what are the factors... Half-life. That... <laughs> Half-life. There we go. Okay, uh, what are the factors that cause an RPG to feel either too long or too short for you? Um, honestly... Oh padding. I padding. hate padding. Too many, too many twists and turns. That's the thing for me. That's the reason why I can never really get into Final Fantasy Nine. It's too many times that the plot just kind of falls on itself. Oh. Also, tutorials is a good yeah. answer as well. Tutorials. How many RPGs have I tried to start this year that the first 30 minutes to an hour, instead of just getting you into the game and letting you try things... It has to tell you all the you things. end up, you have like a seven-page you know, hit X for this explanation of this complicated system that we're not going to show you how to use just now, but you better remember this stuff or figure out how to get back to this in some kind of codex or, you know, tutorial button later because you may need to know how to do it. Just Fantasy show life. 
oh god yes that conception to just everything this year has been like that and i'm just like stop let me play your game i can learn on the go okay but yeah and padding's also a good one <laughs> padding too much dialogue that just says nothing also yeah um Will a major RPG ever dare to be released with an AO rating? Never! Well, here's the thing. If you're going to do something semi-pornographic in an RPG, you're going to release it without going through the ASRB anyhow. Lightning Warrior Rady? Point. <laughs> and then you get other games that probably need more of a rating like that and don't get it. A hey, Trent? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if only so they gave them off the shelves, right? I, I I don't want to talk about it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're playing the pedo game. <laughs> it's it's a lot to take in at once. <sighs> All right. So yeah, no, right. no major RPG. All right. How much alteration does it take for a reissue turns into a remake? Can I say I just don't care? I think there's a certain minimum of tech. I think this got illuminated in the comments section of the reissues remakes episode of the show. So go there. Go to that. Yeah. Okay, next question. Uh, should indie titles be made uh, by one or two people be held to the same standards of game with a staff of hundreds and millions of dollars in publicity costs alone? I'm not yes. going to turn my brain uh, brain off for the sake of three people's feelings. I, I feel like I feel like it's a yes and no. I mean, mm -hmm. I, on the one hand, you have to curb your expectations and understand that this was a labor of love. But on the other hand, a good game is a good game, and a bad game is still a bad game. Well, and there's exactly. certain things you can do with three people really, really well. Mm -hmm. And there, and I think a three-person team that understands those limits and works within them can produce a really good product. Like, Unrest it doesn't have an art budget. It doesn't have animation at all. And I'm like, you know what? This game would be a hell of a lot better with animation. But I'm not going to fault that too much. Yeah, and when you but talk I'm about going this... to hammer on its writing just as hard as I will say uh, Fallout or anything else. And guess what? Unrest is a much better written game than a lot of games that came out this year. And and just to be on point with that, um, as a reviewer, a lot of indies who approach RP Gamer. They are not looking for special treatment. They are usually looking for just getting their name out there. When we review something, we treat it exactly the same as we do the AAA titles. They don't like it. They have to accept that that is how we're treating it. I would say 90% of the time, indies are fantastic to deal with because they understand that we're not out there to poo-poo in their dreams. We're usually trying to offer them constructive criticism for potential better quality next time. Uh, a great example is I reviewed two games that were on Xbox Indie Arcade called Aphelion. I shot on the first one, offered tons of criticism. <laughs> All the criticism appeared in the second game. It was a much better game for it. Yeah. But as far as the same standards, you know, we're not going to compare, like, something Z-Boyd Games makes graphically yeah. to, say, Dragon Age Inquisition or Skyrim or something along those lines. But at the same time, you can compare them to their relative art style and the relative level of their development. Yes. And, you know, if you look at something that, like the least the recent footage of Cosmic Star Heroine that Z-Boyd put out, looks fantastic on par with, you know, a standard 16-bit game. It looks like, you know, it looks gorgeous, like something Chrono Trigger would have been put up against. And you just can't compare that to a modern-day PlayStation 4 game 
and exactly. have that same, but you can compare their art styles. You can hold them to, you know, a standard within the relative space that it exists in. So you've got to have some relativity when it goes to yes, this. Absolutely. But a lot of the criteria truthfully still applies. Yeah. All right. Good question. Okay. So from the Twitter sphere, we have uh, Chrissy asking, what are our Bioware dating habits? <laughs> the character who has the most fun dialogue trees. Always. That's why you pick Isabella every time? Well, it's why I also go with certain characters in Baldur's Gate 2. It's why I actually kind of like uh, Bastila in Knights of the Old Republic, because you can just keep hammering the snarkiest option, and it's fun. Okay, off topic, I need to know this real quick. Which was the first Bioware game that actually had the dating element stuff to it? Baldur's Gate 1. Okay, so it wasn't just character interaction, it actually had dating stuff, like there were, stuff in there it. There were romance subplots you could engage okay. in. They were a little more option they they were much more optional in the earlier titles. And not as, you know it, they weren't cinematic like they are now. Yeah, there's not this thing where they're trying to ape you know. a movie where you have to make out with your love interest. Before the, the world end. ends. Gotcha. Okay. I'll let somebody else answer on their dating habits. My uh, well, go well, try it. It's hard just because there's so many different games. Um, can we just list our favorite person to date from all of the games? You can yeah, go for it. Do whatever you want. If that's how you can answer, go for it. <clears throat> oh, tally one thousand percent. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I I spent the first game romancing Liara because I mean, sexy blue chick, right? But like, there are layers to tally. You know what I mean? And you really literally get to, you. <laughs> Literally. Uh, and you really get to know her. And uh, I kind of imagine she would look different with uh, her gear off. But uh, just the fact that she tells you that she's going to have like a massive cold for a week just for being intimate with you, but that it was worth it. Like, really cute. I, I think I think she's just really sweet. I like I, if she's probably my dream date girl when it comes to Bioware games. Before you continue on this, um, tell us also what kind of like what gender or race or whatever character character you play. Oh, I, I play as male Shep mm -hmm. and he's so a human don't... always. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. When you go through the rest of the Bioware games, Oh, the rest of the Bioware, I usually play someone who looks similar to me. Okay. Uh, except for dragon age, in which case, uh, I try and play as an elf or a Kunari in, in the case of the most recent one. Kunari. I, I okay. Canaries on the table. How do you not take advantage of that? I almost didn't. It Easily. was Scott. It was Scott who swayed me. He's like, "You should be different. Be a canary." No, I, I must be racist or something because I almost <laughs> always play as a human. I can't play as an elf. I can't play as a dwarf. I can't play as a canary. Scott always, always plays human, dwarf, but almost always human female. See, so see, see, dwarf and, is and just what 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 does ship. this say about Max psychology? I, I answered this question like on another podcast just recently, and it was talking about Dragon Age Inquisition and why I did this. And I kind of asked people what they played as and why. But for me, you know, I, I kind of live my life every day as a human male. You know, that's kind of how I am. So you so want to be different, but not too different? <laughs> I go, you know, I don't go super far out of there. I can kind of still relate to the human aspects of things. Actually, I just like the way the human characters look better. That's the only justification I have for that. But, you know, playing as a female character kind of gets it as far away from how I am in real life as normal. So it's nice to be able to roleplay that way. Okay. 
Um, but my yeah, my dating habits are almost always I'm playing as a female, and usually, um, most of the time, dating other ones too. So nice. I always have drama llama. I always you pick make, the clingiest. One. I pick the clingers. I am a clinger. Apparently, I love clingers. I'm not a real. What clinger. does that say about you, Scott? You know, is she trying to make some subtext here? Am I a clinger? <laughs> you can tell me, sweetheart. I'll stop. <laughs> um, but yes, whenever. I play a Bioware game. Um, I usually always am female because I love the fact that I can be my own gender sometimes. It's nice. Um, in Dragon Age, I dated Li- Liliana and like I squealed like a crazy person because I'm like in love with Lily. Um, Scott just doesn't understand the love for Lily. I, Nobody I don't understands get it either. Lily. Okay, she's cool she, in Inquisition. She, she She's a total badass in Inquisition, but in, in Origins... She even, was my even, pick too. Even even in the DLC for Origins, like I really disliked her character. I thought that there was a really weird juxtaposition between her positioning herself as this crazy spy master and her also being a sister of the Chantry, and it turned me off. How anyone can pick any anyone in that game other than Morgan is beyond me. Okay, so I'll here's tell the thing. You exactly how I did. She was a redhead. That's why. Um, also, for me, uh, <laughs> see, I I don't see the appeal of Morgan. I think she's funny, but to be honest, like, does she sexually turn me on? No, I just don't see it. I'm just like, you're kind of grody. But you are, are really, you, are really are grody. Are you saying that you're sexually turned on by video game characters? Yes, totally. We, I, th- I think Weird. we have just opened up a whole new podcast topic. <laughs> All right. You know next, what I mean? Next question right. from no. Drew. <laughs> this, we're adding this to the podcast topic list. Don't yes. worry. <laughs> okay. Um, but no, I, I like Liliana. I actually think she's really interesting. And truthfully, because I was playing as a female, um, I have no interest in Alistair. Alistair is too much of a wuss for me. Um, and Zevran is the village bicycle, so everybody gets a ride, right? So my options were Lil- Liliana or Alistair. I don't like Alistair, so I'm going to go with the option that I'm interested in. Um, and actually it was the same thing in Dragon Age 2, because I like Anders, so in my first playthrough, I did Anders. Um, I couldn't care less about Meryl. Meryl just isn't my <laughs> type. Time. Again, Isabel- <laughs> Isabella is the village bicycle. Makes sense. And Fenris is Squall from Final Fantasy VIII. That was awful. <laughs> and I couldn't I date Varric. If I was allowed to date Varric in two, that would have been a done deal. Easy. But the game was like, nope. And I was like, well, screw you, game. Um, but I like Clingers, apparently. I just always pick the Clingers. Like, I picked Jacob in Mass Effect 2, and then I did the Liara DLC, and she got mad at me for cheating on her, and I was like, bitch, here's the thing. You have not been around. And you know what? In that game, I don't mind because Liara was kind of crazy and then I still dated her in three. <laughs> so I went back to her like the sucker I am. Next question. Better? Yes. Uh... This podcast is getting weird. <laughs> yeah. I'm not Get trying to make it weird. I'm sorry. We're have our, we'll have this later. We'll have a whole weird one later. Don't worry. There, there's so many weird I'm sorry. ones on the list. Sometimes I get really hyper and then I say weird things. Next question. <laughs> okay, so what what's up with not being able to chose change my clothes in Skyhold? Oh, ask Bioware. I feel like that that is an oversight. I kind of, I, if anything, I kind of wish there was a little more range in dress up for Commander Shepard in two or two and three. I feel like there's enough of Mass Effect's DNA in Dragon Age at this point that they that should have been an element. 
Also, Here, here's a question. Why is it that I own a keep and I cannot put up model ships as I did in Mass Effect? <laughs> yeah, I would build ships and models in Dragon Age. Could, I would. I would I would Could you in, imagine though? It would actually make sense to have like wooden water riding ships in on shelves in that game. You know, why not just throw it in there? Where's my hamster? Mod? You didn't even play Baldur's Gate 2. You don't get. To, you don't deserve a hamster. No, but couldn't you have a hamster in Mass Effect? Yes, you don't deserve that hamster. There's a lot of judgment on this podcast. I'm gonna sit here and cry. Oh, <laughs> uh, next question. Okay. Um, Lorian wants to know: uh, At what point does an RPG reclassify as an open world game? In your opinion, Skyrim is. WoW has quests, but is not. Thoughts? That's a genre question. You that goody bye. Hey, it's not necessarily. We will save uh, it for another time. Let's, let's put it that let's, way. Okay, the official response is: if it has RPG elements, you can call it an RPG. And if it's made by Ubisoft, it's probably open world. And Scott just sits here frowning. Ubisoft. Uh, well, Scott needs to stop buying Ubisoft open world games. We've had this conversation, Scott. You do this to yourself. He does. Not this all, year. Not... We all have our own our own sad vices. But yeah, to sum up this question, uh, trying to classify games into RPG versus open world versus whatever, nah, I'm afraid we're not going to go there. It's a That's bad can the... of worms. Yeah. What is an RPG? I think we've also, we can no, also touch on that. No, no, what no, is no, an no. RPG? A game in which you play a role. Or all games are RPGs because you play different roles in those games. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. Like I said, goodbye. Mm. Donald would like to know, what is there something that makes you drop a game on the spot if it comes up? He, um, he, he, cite, not, he cites female not... dancers in EO games. I'm kind of curious what he means by that. Donald, what um, are you referring to? I actually have an answer for this. Hmm. And that is, I have this thing about Moe games, especially oh, when they love... I was, I was just about to talk about that. Especially <laughs> when they like to do the characters where they're like, they're totally a teenager, but they totally look like they could be 10. Um, also in their panties. Oh, okay. That so, makes me super uncomfortable. Specific point of time. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, still, I'm still working on the review for, for Mujin Soul Z. Uh, but... The moment that really hit me in the face was probably like 48 minutes into the game when all of the principal characters are in a sauna on a spaceship, all naked for no particular reason. Just like <laughs> shooting the shit with each other and like teasing each other about the way they look in the bath. And I've never had a more uncomfortable moment playing a video game because they look like toddlers. Yes. Like, due respect to the people who enjoy the Moe genre, but y'all need Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and see, that's the thing. It's like, you know what? When when women look like, you know, I don't know, over the age of 18 and they have big boobies, I'm fine with it. It doesn't seem to bug me. But when they look like they're 10... Um, that's enough for me to drop it. I think I dropped two games this year, Mac, because of that. Mm -hmm. One of them was Demon Days, which I then sent to Adrian, and oh my god, you should see his response. He was really upset with me. That was his <laughs> Christmas present this year. Oh, uh, to answer that question, um, I'm sure that's fantastic answers from both of you all, but thankfully I've never had to deal with that in any of the ones I've played. I've played some weird ones, but not in any of the RPGs as far as making me drop something on the spot when it comes up. 
Oh, God. Like, I don't know. Huge difficulty spikes out of nowhere. Uh, long, repeated, like if you go through a whole long dungeon and there's nowhere to save and you die and you have to repeat it again, screw that. Just yeah. pff, uh, drop the mic. I, I guess I have a few triggers. I'll say that a um, sort of sexualization of preteens is rough. Um, there's a few, there's one, what, there, there are a few that drive me nuts, like extended plot detours to open a door. It will, will make me mash the install button pretty fast. Um, another one is, here's six pages of text describing how you hit the X button to trigger a basic oh, attack. Oh, yes. But here, oh my gosh. Uh, and, but here's also our massive, giant, Byzantine subsystem. We're gonna mention once and let you figure out, like, that this total fundamental misunderstanding of what you tutorialize and what you don't. Are we still talking about Mugen Souls? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. And the worst thing is that I think the title for those hint screens is like, like, they call it like overly complicated screen like because they're meta and self-aware but being self-aware doesn't, doesn't excuse horrible game design yeah. <laughs> like look at how games do that look at how oh. terrible our game design is it's funny right <laughs> wink <laughs> uh. like, you know like sam mentioned earlier fantasy life uh, that's totally on the opposite end of that spectrum but you know going through a four or five page press x to spam through how to attack something or you know what Move a quest to the is left. Yep. and then not explaining you know the tiniest little mention of something that's key and important and fantasy life doesn't do that necessarily but lots of there's lots, lots of, of games that they do oh my god yes okay yeah, yeah. But, but, like let, hot. let's drill into our really simple turn-based combat but our crafting system you can do on your own kids I think, uh, will indies continue to provide a source of good small-budget RPGs, or is that just a fad? I think I think crowdfunding has made sure that it's probably going to stick around in some form. I don't think it's a fad necessarily, but I think we're going to see some major shifts in that area. I think as indie developers start getting bigger and start getting more successful, that you're going to either see them kind of get to a point where they can't really go any higher or they're going to have to get to a point where they have to grow and become something different. And I just worry about what happens with some of them in that case. Well, there's really no mid card game development right now. It is, mm -hmm. it is drop a hundred million dollars or drop 10,000. And you know, there's, there's yeah. no room for a good half million dollar game right now. And that's oh. a shame. I'll mention two just really quick. You know, you look at Z-Boyd Games and what they've done with, you know, the lower end genre, like Breath of Death 7, kind of 8-bit style, um, moving up with, you know, Cthulhu Saves the World and the Penny Arcade games, now Cosmic Star Heroine. You know, when do you reach a point where you've made that game that you either have to keep doing that same style or you have to outdo it and go into like 3D and do things like that. You know, how do you decide fully that that's the time to do that? And do you lose something special when you do that process? You know, a lot of people argue on Final Fantasy when it jumped from six to seven and that whole style changed. You know, some people loved it, some didn't, but there was clearly a defining moment where that divide happened. And then you look at, um, like uh, Dragon Fantasy Book 1 and Book 2, the jump between those games was dramatic. You know, you went from the kind of the 8-bit style Dragon Quest clone to something almost trying to, you know, mimic Chrono Trigger style. And there was such a, a huge jump there 
that where do you go from there? Where would be your next step? You know, how high can you jump that quickly? It's got to be really gradual or you are going to fade out really quickly or burn out really quickly. And it certainly doesn't help that there aren't any sort of production tools. Like like Unity is a boon to the indie movement because you can make so many goddamn uh, RD2D platformers in it. But the sort of tool sets for RPG creation are um, Neverwinter Nights and RPG Maker. Which, yeah. Yeah, you use Unity, you've still got to kind of design your own stuff within Unity. <laughs> you know, you're making the game yourself still, just using that tool to help you distribute it. Anyone else have any thoughts on that one? I don't, no. actually. Okay, so does the uh, big budget or go-home mentality of major publishers hurt the RPG genre more than others? I don't think it's the go-big, I think it's the do-it-in-a-year-and-a-half mentality. Like I think that's a bad a mentality for RPGs. Like Bioware I, I benefited from I, a, I, I like I think Bioware benefited from money. They didn't benefit from the slave driver schedule. Yeah, I think it depends on which RPG publisher you're, talking about. you're looking at. What were you going to say? I, I would Trent? say I would say that it's a hundred percent affected RPGs. <laughs> I mean, like, just in terms of uh, the the sheer amount of releases that dropped from the PS2 to the PS3, mm-hmm. um, and and I'm assuming from the PS3 to the PS4 eventually, like it, the cost of an actual AAA RPG, be it Western or Japanese, are so astronomical that really a publisher is taking a gamble. So they do need to have a go big or go home approach to these things. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that is the climate that we currently work in has absolutely affected the amount of releases we've seen and the quality of releases that we've seen. I think absolutely. it's a big issue. Well, no, I mean, yeah. and I can agree with, I can agree with that, like in, in that sense. But I mean, sometimes I also think a lot of games are integrated because they're integrating RPG elements into their games like Assassin's Creed. You know, like Sleeping Dogs. You know, you're seeing integration. And to me, like I said, I don't know if I necessarily see that as a big go-home mentality as it is just everyone's borrowing from the genre to implement into their other games. Maybe that's where I'm just coming from. Does it hurt? Probably. But, you know, I'm also looking at the fact that people are also going to other places for their RPG fixes. You know, um, I mean, there's a reason why there's so many... Yes, I'm not saying they're all quality, but... People are going to Steam and being like, I'm going to take a gamble on this $5 game, and if I get $5 worth of enjoyment, awesome sauce. Yeah, I think the problem is you know, exactly what he's referring to in this case. It's the go big or go home mentality because, like you say, they can't always go big, so a lot of times they are just going home and saying, yeah, we're not going to do it, and that's what hurts. And yeah. again, we do seriously need uh, some sort of mid-card development ideal like that you can just throw guys a half million to a million dollars give them a couple of years to make it and earn your money back and that'll be it yeah double a games something like and look at child of light this year you know the ubisoft art tools that they came up with doing stuff like that how is that not good for them you know how is that not good for big publishers to be able to crank something out on a smaller scale less time frame less people involved and you know, still be successful. How is that not good? Because they don't understand the difference. They don't understand that having some of the money is perfectly fine. It is. I. They would rather have no money than some money. They want all money. It's why everyone Sad wants mentality. to be the next Clash of Clans rather than just being like, "Hey, 
let's actually, let's fund a, a new Torment game traditionally rather than asking everyone to open up their wallets. Yeah. I mean, what what would you say about the, those Eastern European developers? They're kind of in an interesting... Well, they, they're, they're in, in an interesting hole because not all of them are doing indie. A lot of them do have publishers backing them. Yeah, but they, they, they sort of have Eastern European publishers with a very strong mindset towards just making their money in Europe and if Americans like it... Awesome. Awesome. Like, I think... I, I was listening to this talk, uh, reading this article about uh, Norwegian game development. Like, they have to immediately... Where Norway doesn't have a population base to support uh, gaming from Norway. They immediately have to go to the world stage for it. And I think that's that's something that maybe hurts what they can do. It's kind of an interesting topic to look at, but we don't have the time for that. that that's another episode. But I mean, because I just always find European developers kind of interesting, because you're right, in a lot of ways, they're just looking at, we want success in Europe. They also understand, in terms of RPGs, what Europeans like. Yeah, they're kind of their own branch, a lot like indie games are. You I know, mean, and if they have a big they're success, a secondary. like The Witcher, for an example, then yeah. And And that's it, is I think we're seeing a third stream where we have the North American RPG with the and the JRPG, and now an emerging Euro RPG, which has elements of both and its own things, and it's probably on a smaller budget. But there you go. Right. Okay. Uh, the next one is: What is the best RPG franchise right now? Persona. Perso- I like. Persona. I was just about to say Persona. I like- Persona. I like Persona, but I've also played every Atelier game that's come out on. PS3, so... I, but, that, but that is that is my thing. I just like yeah. super girly games. Um, if you're saying franchise, if just the very fact that, you know, Persona 3 and 4 were 70-plus hour games for me, and yet I was willing to replay them portably, you know, I was able to get through them quicker, like 40, 50 hours that second time, but just the very fact that I was able to play through and play through them again, I'm going with that as the best franchise. I, I I love Persona. So. God, and the fact that we want Persona 5 so much and haven't seen Jack squat about it uh, kind of says a lot in itself. I want it now. Take my money. I mean, Where's it, the fry gif? It's hard for me to disagree with uh, that sentiment, but uh, I'm actually going to go with... Also Persona. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to give it to Persona 2 right, right out the gate. I feel like I mean, I don't have anything that I can just point to as a franchise and say, no, no, that's way more engaging than Persona. But I feel like uh, there are development houses Yeah. that might be, like, I don't, like, I think Obsidian doesn't have a franchise, but I think I am way more excited about what Obsidian is doing. If you phrase it like that, yeah, absolutely. There's other games that could be out there that could be more interesting, more exciting. You know, I, I want to play Xenoblade Chronicles X, but you know, it, it's just two games at this point. Is it truly, you know, a fully series, a franchise? Yeah. You know, it's kind of its own thing. It's always been Xeno and, you know, are they really the same as Xeno Saga, Xeno Gears? You know, if you, you've got to have a fine way to frame that. And I just define it as a, you know, a, a franchise. And Persona's definitely become a franchise and definitely become one of the more popular and successful and enjoyable ones for me. And I feel like this last question is just for you, Matt, because it's from your, uh, yeah. your gang. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Wheels, who would like to know what is the best Kawazu-directed RPG? Now, I'm seeing him more as a producer, but in terms of a director, which one do I like? Oh, none of these. 
Um, no. I, oh, I oh, actually... stop. Ro- okay, the answer is very clearly Romancing Saga Minstrel Song. I didn't play that game. Oh, <laughs> I liked I liked Saga Frontier. Does that count? I think it counts. Yeah, I, I like Saga Frontier. It. I played I played the crap out of that. He does, he designed it. Um, but it says he's also the producer and the director. He's producer director, so we'll call that. Yeah. And I oh. love that game. I loved the whole having the multiple perspectives. Not that the multiple perspectives were necessarily great, but I played every single one. Did I finish all of them? No. I also thought it was really no. fun to just randomly get skills. <laughs> I don't know why, I, but I, I like can't. that game. Wheels has to be the only person I've ever met in my life that will defend Unlimited Saga. Oh, That's God. a little terrifying. Unlimited yeah. Saga is actually oh, bad. It's so awful. It's and so I, The way he phrased this question, I can't choose Final Fantasy XII because Kawazu was just a... Producer. Kind of assistant, producer. assistant executive producer at that. You know, he wasn't really full on executive producer until He's later. Not directing is the, is the scenario. Kinda. Yeah. But I feel like uh, he's trying to make you pick something like Crystal Bears, but I don't even think that counts. Oh, oh no, he knows better than that crap. <laughs> he knows that game's awful, and there's no any kind of justification for its existence, and that crappy rodeo type music that plays that he knows he knows which one i hate he knows it <laughs> he knows which one i hate um he loves you so does much it, do the original final fantasy and final does you know final fantasy 2 count you know uh, he was part of the design designer one, but... designer not director so no in the case of wheels's question it does not count in you can case, abstain final... Final Fantasy Legend 2 or Saga 2. Yeah, something like that. You can also abstain. It's something, one of the earliest ones, but I'm still like, you know what? I could take or leave them. Yeah, I would take Saga 2. I, I, like I said, I picked Saga Frontier because it's the only one I actually spent time with and kind of thought was a lot of fun. Though I do like Final Fantasy Legend 3 better, even though he wasn't really involved in that one, which is probably why I enjoyed it and why it was actually good. (laughs) I mean, there's this weird, there's this weird correlation that may indeed be causation. Can we, can we all just take a second and cackle over how we're insulting Kawazu when all wheels wanted to do was give him further publicity? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, wheels. And then please don't hurt training wheels with Kawazu games. Please don't do that. Be a nice father. (laughs) And yet, thanks to his question, there have been at least four hits to the Kawazu (laughs) Wikipedia page. I can guarantee. (laughs) Guaranteed. (laughs) Though at least four, because we had to. We had to. We had to double check. (laughs) A brand new Kawazu game, a brand new saga game coming to Vita next year. A brand new Kawazu game, saga game coming to Vita. Yeah, yeah. What the heck is with that? I heard about that today. Yeah, what yeah. is it's never it's it's never coming to America. No. It's like I think Jeremy Parrish quoted it best. It's like Kawazu has the balls to make his games the least marketable he can. <laughs> <laughs> you know. More power to him. All right. I'm all for it. I'm actually interested in it since like, it's on it, Vita, it, so he, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> it, is there a Kawazu parody account the way there's Peter Molly de Oh god, there should be. There, there should be. be as soon as we finish this podcast. <laughs> this might be this might be something for the think tank to begin. Yes. Alright. And believe it or not, that's all the questions we got. But I actually have one more I'm going to pose to you guys. And it's a, it's an easy question. So 2014's coming to an end. Boo. Sad, whatever. What is your game of the year? Now we do our own tally 
that doesn't come out obviously till the end of January usually because we're slow and because it takes us a while and we have a very good process in how we do this. But for right now, there's only four of us. What is your game of the year? When you say game, do you mean RPG? Your sorry, yeah. your RPG. Oh. And you can only pick uh, one. I don't. I hate game spoiling this. You know, for me. You uh, can spoil it ahead. for yourself, ahead, but it's not going to be the staff pick because we don't know yet. <laughs> go ahead, Trent. Sound like you were about. To oh say. yeah. Well, I, I I already spoiled this. I I tweeted this out the other day. Um, mine's South Park: The Stick of Truth. I'm kind of there with you. I gotta go with unrest. I thought that game was pretty damn fabulous too, but that's not my pick. My pick is Child of Light, which will win nothing but maybe music awards and graphic awards. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm okay I'm, with that, but I love South Park. I actually thought South Park yeah. was wonderful. Yeah, well, welcome you. to Active Topical Banter, the editorial round table where four people did not say Dragon Age Inquisition. Now, <laughs> I, I was about to say that would be one of the games that would be up there. I haven't finished it yet. I think overall with tight development and like complete shock as to how much I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Stick of Truth really did stand out to me this year. Impressive. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we're going to do our closer topic, which is something of a callback to last episode and just something that was in the news that uh, I wanted. I, I want to sit there and say and exercise from my brain is why do we care about a Final Fantasy VII remake? I don't. I don't. I don't understand why people keep expecting it to happen. Yeah, I think well, it's because people look at the fact that, oh, let's just throw it out there. It's ugly as crap, and I think people look at Square Enix's budgets and go, now imagine if Final Fantasy VII could be as pretty as that. Meanwhile, to be well, honest, I kind of don't want the rest of the game. It's like, yeah, if you made it pretty, if, I'm not going to play it again. Actually, if anyone actually stopped to think about what it would entail... Oh god, yes. No one would want a remake of okay. Final Fantasy VII. I'll tell you exactly what it entails. It entails taking the PC version and putting it out on PlayStation 4. Yeah. <laughs> okay, no. <laughs> what What I mean is, like, if... if okay, let's, I know, say, I know. let's say that they actually decided to do, like, a reimagining. AAA, like, let's just $100 million, seven years. $120 million at this mofo. <laughs> is everything going to stay the same but look pretty? Or are things going to change? And if things do change, is that going to piss people off? Well, the answer isn't. to all these questions is yes. No one's going to be happy, be good. so it's fine. It would be good, and it will be awful, and not a single fan of Final Fantasy VII, regardless of their perspective, would be satisfied. So I would love to live in a world where people stopped asking for this. Well, this is it. <laughs> is, it, it it's one of those things that everyone wants, so immediately I'm suspicious of it. And you know what? I'm, there, there's going to be a point where I sincerely try to replay that game as, you know, an no, adult with who thinks about things while they go on. But no, I, yeah, it won't happen. I'll get through disc one and be like, ah! I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> That's all I want. That's all I really need. As someone who replayed it, what, a couple years ago when we... On the PSP or something? No, I played it on the, uh, I, I replayed my discs, actually. Yeah. Um, it doesn't hold up. Like, I, and <laughs> Final Fantasy VII is too valuable as a property they can cash in on for other things. Yeah. Can I have so, Commando Eris the game? Because that would be kind of fun. Yeah, like, I'm... Can I have, like, Charlie's Angels with Yuffie and Tifa and Eris, and then, like, maybe really badass and stuff? Because that could be kind of fun. No. <laughs> 
because I'm you, gonna dr- you'd make it about their fantasy co- ten two. Yeah, it, it would. It would be. Talking. It would be entirely about their hangups about cloud. It would be, and it would be sad and full of annoying J-pop. Okay, like, I will. I will stop because I didn't actually really play ten two. I kind of ignored its existence. I think I got what five minutes in, and I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's Charlie's Angels, but I don't. I don't know. It's not even. It's not even as good as Charlie's Angels. Because it goes on for more than half an hour. Can I have a She-Ra game, then, in Final Fantasy Verse? No. <laughs> I really have She-Ra on the brain, I'm sorry. I don't know why. But yeah, I, I think I think there's there's some things you just... You, you can't ho- go home again, kids. Yeah. So just grab your PS4 PC version and understand that this is what the game is. That's the entirety of it. If you don't like it, then maybe maybe it doesn't deserve all the love you are still giving it. Also, enjoy spending 15 bucks on it, because it's totally not worth that. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm that asshole, but I'm okay with it. Sweet Code 2, however, totally worth your $10. Go buy go that instead. Go pick it up. You know you want to. You know you want it. And then I will sit there and play it again and be like, oh my god, it's so perfect in every way. Except unless, it's not. It's, it's unless open. you're in Europe, in which case... Uh, you gotta wait a little longer. You gotta wait longer. Sorry, but apparently that DRM is way better than Steam. Don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we're good then. We're good. We'll see you next month when we will be talking about... You know what? Let's do shooter RPG hybrids. Let's break those down for a little while. That could be fun. Also, it would kind of transition nice to the fact that Trent hates Alpha Protocol. Details, and details. Hate is, hates a strong word. Hold on. We will direct I, you to our I, latest feature. I just feature. don't think it's worth all the hype. Trent, yeah, I was trying to plug you. Check out for more details. <laughs> I was trying to check plug you. Check out our latest feature on rpgamer.com on I Should Have Loved You. And written did. and coordinated by Sam Marcello and the RP Gamer staff. Yay! Shameless plug. Next time. See you next time. Yay! (laughs) Goodbye. Peace. The Active Topical Banter Show is an RP Gamer production, all rights reserved. Visit rpgamer.com for contact info, discussions, and other great content. Music by Nubuo Ematsu, arrangements courtesy of ocremix.com.